I love this time of year. Don't you? It's my favorite time of the year. Can you imagine what Christmas would be like if we didn't celebrate the traditions like we do here in America? Folks, some, something would be missing, wouldn't it? I think as we're going through this COVID time now, some of the traditions that we generally experience, we haven't been able to experience it, and it just leaves us in this weird type of mood. We feel like something is missing. And I know what that's like. I remember uh, several years ago when Dennis Tolleson and I, after our Christmas tree lighting, the first weekend in, in December, we went on a world mission tour. We were gone for two and a half weeks. And I missed all the Christmas traditions. The cookies, the candy, the lights. In fact, I came back just in time to give the Christmas Eve message and I was sick. And I felt like there was something missing. There is nothing in the world that compares to the enduring traditions of Christmas in the United States. And so that is why this month we are taking a look at the symbols of Christmas that we love and adore. We, we've taken a look at the star and three things surfaced. The star itself, the seekers, and the Savior. Last week, we took a look at the gifts, and there were three. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which symbolized the sovereign domain, the sinless deity, and the sacrificial death of Christ. Today, we're going to take a look at the tree. In order to capture, or shall I say recapture, the awe of Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to take a look at the symbolism of of light because scripture is filled full of it and that is going to be a very simple service a candlelight service and you don't want to miss it because we're going to be bringing in lord willing technology even our virtual audience into the big house now i want to ask you a question how many of you here have succumbed to the tradition, to the peer pressure? And if you have kids, they're squawking of putting up your Christmas tree in your house. May I see your hands right now? Come on, get. You, you have put up a Christmas tree in your house, right? Ray, raise your hands, okay? Just, just uh, humor me a little bit here, okay? How many of us here? have put up a real Christmas tree in your house, and your allergies are driving you crazy right now, okay? How many of us here have put up an artificial Christmas tree? Let me see your hand. Oh, wow. In some ways, Christmas has gone artificial, hasn't it? It's become commercialized. It's become big business. I don't know if you realize this or not, but during this holiday season, our businesses em employ about a, a, an additional half a million people just to service us in this holiday season. And did you know that during this season, we will sell 30 million cri live Christmas trees every year with 15 million artificial ones? The Christmas tree business has become big business. Why? 
because it is a very important symbol in our Christmas celebrations. Why? Why is it that we will shop the world over, go to lot after lot after lot, look at trees online, the artificial ones, to find that perfect tree that fits that perfect spot in our house? Kind of reminds me of the story of two Texas raiders. One of them will remain anonymous. The other one is Dennis Tolleson. They were in hunt for the perfect Christmas tree. They went deep into the woods. Sub-zero temperatures, suffering through it. Wolves on their trail. Until finally Dennis Tolleson said, you know what? I'm chopping down the next tree I see. I don't care if it doesn't have decorations on it or not. Christmas has become so artificial and so commercialized that some people have truly gotten turned off at our Christmas traditions because it represents something that it never intended to represent. It has become commercialized. It has become artificial. I will never forget early on in our church when we had moved into the little house. This is the big house. When we moved into the little house, that very first year, we were able to erect a Christmas tree in the little house. And there was a family that loved our church but came up to me and said to me, George, during the month of December, we're not going to be at church. And I asked them, well, why is that? And they said, well, you've erected a Christmas tree in the sanctuary. And it is a pagan symbol. In fact, Jeremiah says that anyone who cuts down a tree and puts gifts around it is worshiping a false god. And so we're just not going to be at church during the month of December. And I said, that's not the reason why we're doing it. But it didn't matter. As I walked away from that conversation, I thought, you know what? We can differ on the traditions of Christmas. We don't have to see eye to eye on every issue in order to walk hand in hand. As I like to say, in the essentials we have unity, in the non-essentials we have liberty, in all things we show charity. And so we can have differences in regards to tradition, as far as that goes, in regards to politics and everything else that's going on in our crazy world. You focus in on the essentials. In some families, and as far as that goes, in some countries, they have different traditions around Christmas. But here in America, and maybe in your family, the tree is huge. Why? What is so significant about the tree that you and I will go to such efforts to get in the attic, to get it down, to get it dusted off, to find the, the, the ornaments, to make sure they're just right and erect that tree in our house. What is the meaning of the tree? Because I believe that if we could discover it, or shall I say rediscover it, it would produce an awe in us about Christmas that we will never forget 
Well, in order to answer that question, I think we first have to understand that the human race has been interacting with trees from the beginning of time, since Genesis. Take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Think about that. The entire human race was plunged into sin around a tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree determined if they loved God or, uh, or, or obeyed, uh, loved God and obeyed God or not. That tree became a blessing or a curse to them. And we know the rest of the story, do we not? They chose to disobey. And it plunged the entire race into sin, into the brokenness that you and I experience in life, physically, mentally, relationally, politically, economically, across the board. Folks, all around a tree. And so as a result of trees, we have various reactions to them. Some of us who have to get in the attic and bring them down and dust them off, we have a certain reaction to that, okay? But others of us have joyful reactions. In fact, as you go through the Bible, it says that we are to sing praises, or it makes comments of singing praises to trees, sing the praises of the cedars of Lebanon. If you are a biblical scholar, you know the value and significance of fig trees and olive trees. Not only did they provide sustenance and security, but folks, they were a symbol. The fig tree symbolized the nation of Israel. Jesus said that the nation Israel would come back together as a nation like a fig tree budding again. Almost everywhere that you and I turn, mankind is interwoven with trees. For us in the United States, there's a tree that we honor above others. It's called Methuselah. It is the oldest tree in the United States. It's out in California. It's, it's a type of pine tree. It is about 5,000 years old. Think about that. It's been here since the days of the pharaohs. The world's oldest tree is in Sweden. About 10,000 years old. Our lives have been intertwined with trees from the beginning. As a nation, we, we recognize certain trees. In our literature, we talk and write about trees. Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis wrote about our interactions with trees. Do you remember the Lord of the Rings? Oh man, that was a great show. And the talking trees. We always seem to have some kind of relationship with trees. In fact, in the Bible, we are compared. Our lives are compared to trees. Take a look at Psalms 1, verse 2. Those that delight in the law of the Lord 
meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Biblical scholars tell us that the Hebrews envisioned the growth of the human family as a tree. As we describe our genealogy to people, what what do we refer it to as? As our family tree. It is believed by the Hebrews that certain nations or families were appointed to be the tree of life. The tree of life that would provide safety and sustenance for all that would take shelter under it. And one such family was Nebuchadnezzar. The prophet Daniel spoke of him in such a way. And we studied the book of Daniel a little over a year ago. But Daniel in this same in his same book, in this same book, refers to another tree in a very similar way. Take a look at this out of Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. What was this tree that Daniel spoke of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ? What was this tree that was planted in the middle of the earth? Well, to answer that question, we need to move to the Christmas tree. What is the symbol of the Christmas tree? All of my life growing up as a kid, no one ever explained to me the symbol of the Christmas tree. I went to church until I was 16 and got a car, and then I partied every weekend. And I can never remember a time during the Christmas season a pastor ever talking about the symbol of the Christmas tree. Maybe you don't know what the symbol of the Christmas tree is. Well, if you don't, guess what? Today is your lucky day. The Christmas tree actually began in Germany in the 16th century. It was originally called Christbaum, Christbaum, which means Christ tree. Now follow me with this. The first known decorated Christbaum, Christbaum, was done by none other than Martin Luther himself, the great Protestant reformer of about 500 years ago. And the story goes something like this. One night, he walks out of his house, and he looks up through the trees into the night sky to reflect on the glory and the goodness of God, and he saw some stars, and he had an aha moment, a God moment. And it dawned on him that Christ is the light of the world. 
and that the tree that he was looking through represented his tree that he was nailed to for our sins. And so that Christmas, he cut down a tree from the outside and he brought it into his home and he put candles on it. As far as we know, it was the very first Christmas tree that was decorated by a godly man. Christbaum. Christbaum. Christ tree. Christmas tree. Let's take a look at God's Christmas tree. Because I happen to believe that it didn't happen 500 years ago, but rather it happened 2,000 plus years ago on a hill named Calvary where Jesus hung on a cross for you and for me. And that tree became the greatest demonstration, the greatest display of sacrificial love that the world has known and that the world will ever know. As I reflect personally on Christ's life, it amazes me how his life has intertwined with wood from the very beginning. When he was born, he was placed in a wooden trough in a manger. When he grew up, he became a carpenter that worked with wood and stone. And when he voluntarily gave up his life for mine and for yours, he voluntarily went to a wooden cross. When you study the New Testament, what you will find amazing is that Jesus' death on the cross is referred to as a tree. The Bible uses the word tree and cross interchangeably, and the reason is because it comes from the same Greek word. In fact, there are a number of verses in the New Testament that refer to Christbaum, Christbaum, as the cross. And so as a result, there is an association, there is a relationship between the Christmas tree and how it points us to Christ's cross. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Galatians 3, 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Will you circle the words cross and tree? Paul is quoting the Old Testament, and he is telling us that Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, became a curse for our flops and our failures and our fumbles. He became a curse for our wrongdoing because, as the Bible says in the Old Testament, anybody who hangs on a tree, on a cross, is cursed. And on the day that Jesus hung on his cross, our curse turned into a blessing. Because God gave to us a gift. He rescued us from the curse 
of the law. And you might sit here and say, well, what is the curse of the law? Well, just read Deuteronomy 28 and 29. It talks about blessings and it talks about curses. The blessings of being obedient and the curses of being disobedient. And it was the curse of disobedience, of punishment, of judgment, of the wrath of God that God rescued us from, from Jesus' tree. Why? Because Jesus became our curse. He took our place. He became our substitute. Take a look at another verse. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. This may be the single most important verse that describes and um, defines what Jesus did 2,000 plus years ago on the cross, on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Folks, what an amazing verse. This verse is a promise of presence, of gifts, of provisions that the Lord has given the whole world through a tree. Just like that tree that Daniel mentioned in Daniel chapter 4. That tree that was planted in the middle of the earth. That was there for everyone to find blessings from. To find comfort, to find peace, to find healing, to find restoration. Let me read this same verse out of the New American Standard Bible. People ask me a lot of times, George, how many translations do you have? As many as my little computer in my hand will hold. I can remember the day when I used to, there was just physical Bibles, and I'd have like 10 of them out like this, just reading one translation. Now, it's easy like pushing a button. Take a look at this translation out of the New American Standard Bible. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the what? Cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. I would have you circle the word tree in the English Standard Version and write by it the word cross. And in the New American Standard Version that mentions cross, I would encourage you to write by it tree. Why? Because the cross is the tree, and the tree is the cross. When you see a Christmas tree, folks, it's a symbol. It is a symbol of Christbaum, Christbaum, Christ's tree. It is a symbol of the cross of Jesus Christ and his love for you, his grace to you, his goodness to you, his life. For your life. And when I say life, I'm not talking about just life in the future. I'm talking about life right now. My hope this Christmas, after this service, as you take a look at your Christmas tree, as you take a look at Christmas trees that are out maybe at the mall or in front of someone's house, that you will never look at that tree the same way ever again. 
that you will look at your tree in, in a way that will produce an awe about Christmas that will help you to capture or recapture the reason for the season. Because the symbol of the Christmas tree is that it's Christ's tree. It's the cross. Like I said last week, until you understand the death of Christ, that Jesus came, that he was born to die, you'll never understand the birth of Christ. You and I will never value his birth until, folks, we really understand his death. And so as you look at the Christmas tree, I say this. You and I ought to have three responses. And there are responses that we have, but now let's put the backdrop of what the Christmas tree really symbolizes. The first one ought to be remembrance. I don't know about you, but when I look at my Christmas tree, I am just flooded with memories. Our tree isn't like these finely designed, interior designed trees that match everything. We have some in the hallway, and they are beautiful. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But when you look at, at my or our family Christmas tree, folks, it's a Heinz 57's tree. It has ornaments on it that are eggs that my wife poked holes in and blew the stuff out and we let the kids decorate them, okay, with glitter. We have ornaments that, that were given, to, well, really that we bought through Frito-Lay. We're talking 30 years ago, they used to put ornaments in, paper ornaments, and so we'd have to buy three bags and so, because we had three kids, and there are those ornaments there. We have popsicle sticks that the kids glued on and put pictures on, and, and those are on our trees. Folks, it is a Heinz 57 tree. I think you get the picture. And when I look at that tree, mem memories are just flooded in. In fact, we have a picture. I don't, we have someone there, Dr. Chalk. He's an associate pastor here at LifePoint. Does a lot of our counseling. We have their family over every Christmas. And we've got an ornament that their son, Jonathan, gave us when he was, I don't know, six years old. It's on our tree. Go figure. I look at that. Why is that on there? I don't know. Just reminds us of the chalks. As we think of Christ's tree, what is it that we remember? Well, what does 1 Peter 2, 24 says? It says that he bore our sins. Can you imagine the weight of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, placed on him? Can you imagine him walking down Via Della Rosa? And I have been there. Which was heavier, the cross or the sins of the world? And it says that he bore our sins in his body, not his soul. And I'm glad it doesn't say soul, because that would mean that God would have had to die. But God can't die. God is life. But his body could, and it did so that we could experience life, that we could experience blessings and not a curse. Do you realize that every book in the New Testament, except for three, 
have some kind of reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Philemon and 2nd and 3rd John. Matthew takes up two chapters, 141 verses to describe the tree. Mark, the shortest gospel of the gospels, gives 116 verses that describe the tree. Luke gives us two of the longest chapters to tell us about the cross. John uses half of his gospel to describe Jesus' journey to Golgotha. Folks, I really believe that we could capture or recapture the awe of Christmas if we understood the significance of the tree. That it symbolizes the fact that Jesus was born to die. But for what reason? This gets to my second point that we do all the time. And that is we reflect on the life that God wants to give to us. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24 that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What's he talking about here? Folks, he's talking about transformation. He is talking about giving up the lesser for the greater. And you and I experience that every Christmas, do we not? I will never forget a couple of years ago, I experienced transformation. I had a small 65-inch rear projection TV. And I got an 82-inch Samsung flat screen that's on the wall. Guess what? I gave up the lesser for the greater. Some of you are dreaming and hoping and praying for an 82-inch QLED. And when you wake up Christmas morning and you have that, you will give up your 50-inch LCD, guaranteed. Some of you are dreaming, praying, and hoping that you get a brand new Chevy Crew truck. And when you wake up Sunday morning and it's got a big ribbon around it, you will give up that Ford that stands for Fix or Repair Daily. That's for Dennis Tollison. Peter is saying when you remember that Christ bore our sins on the cross, that you will reflect on the life that he wants to give you. And you will choose to get rid of the lesser in order to grasp hold of the greater. You will give up the less mature life for a more mature life. You will give up your sinful nature so that you can embrace Christ's nature. And this is what we reflect on. That Jesus bore our sins so that we could die to the lesser things and embrace the greater things. But there's a third thing that you and I do at Christmas time around the tree, and that is we rejoice. When you look at Christbaum, Christbaum, Christ tree, the cross, we remember that he bore our sins. 
We reflect on the greater gifts that he wants to give us. But then we rejoice. In what? That by his wounds, you and I were healed. Peter is speaking past tense here. He's speaking about an historical event that was relevant then as it is now. By his wounds, you were healed. In other words, provisions have been made for the here and for the now. Just like that tree in Daniel that was planted in the middle of the earth was there to be a support and a sustenance for those that would take shelter in it. That tree, folks, that tree that Daniel mentions is the cross of Jesus Christ. God made provision for your health, for your healing, for your sustenance, for your support through his wounds. And not just for the future, but for right now in the present. I don't know about you, but when I look at our Christmas tree and I see all the packages that are under it, I rejoice. I rejoice in advance, to be honest with you, because I, I can't wait for Christmas morning and especially to see my grandkids open up gifts that I know that they're going to really like. I rejoice in the same way when you and I think about what Christ did on the Christmas tree, his tree, the cross, I can rejoice. I have some ornaments. On Christ's tree. When you and I come to the cross and we nail our sin to it, God turns it into forgiveness. And that is worth rejoicing about, is it not? I mean, what is the best thing about getting in a fight with your spouse? Guys, it's making up, right? To err is divine, or to err is human, forgive is divine. It's worth rejoicing about. When you and I come to the cross and we nail our sins, we are nailing our pride. And when we do that to the, at the cross, he turns our pride into humility. Humility is the foundation for grace. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is the desire and power to live the greater life. And that's what you and I get when we come to the cross. When we come to the cross with all of our hurts and sorrow and grief that we have done, and folks, life is hard, is it not? Especially during this season, when we know of certain friends, maybe even loved ones that have died from COVID. We can come and we can give God our sorrows. And what he does with our sorrow is that he turns it into joy. 
The Bible says that at night we may weep, but in the morning it will be turned to joy. Joy is the strength to face tomorrow. Joy is the power, the anticipation that tomorrow will be better than today. And I am writing our Christmas or New Year's Day message right now about leaving 2020 behind and looking forward to 2020, 2021. And there is joy in that. And it gives you and I strength for the journey. And when we bring him our sickness, our brokenness, he turns it into healing. And we need healing, don't we? Our nation needs healing. I have never seen such a fracture in my lifetime. Our marriages need healing. Our families need healing. Our friendships need healing. They need the healing touch from heaven above. And that is what we rejoice in. When we come on Christmas morning and we have that tree, whether artificial or real, we rejoice because God is turning things around. I want to end this message with a story about three trees and their dreams. Maybe you've heard of this. The first tree had a dream that it would be turned into a valuable treasure chest that would hold the most valuable things in the world. The second tree had a dream that it would be turned into a, a, a shipping vessel that would carry the greatest dignitaries around the world. The third tree had a dream that it would never be cut down, that it would grow higher and higher and higher, pointing people to God. One day, a carpenter came through, and he cut down all the trees. And the first tree that had a dream of being this valuable treasure chest was bought by a farmer, made into a feed trough that one day held the treasure of baby Jesus. The second tree that had the dream of becoming a valuable, or a, a vessel that would carry these big dignitaries around the world was made into a simple fishing boat that one day was bought by Peter, that one day Jesus got in and gave the greatest messages that this world has ever heard. The third tree that didn't want to be cut down, that wanted to grow higher and higher, point to God, was cut down and it was turned into an instrument of torture. And Jesus was nailed to it, pointing our way to God. My hope and my prayer for you this Christmas
is that as you reflect on the Christmas tree that is in your family room, that you will realize the dreams that God is going to fulfill for you this coming year in unexpected ways. Because we've got a great God. And He is worthy of our worship. That is what the Christmas tree is all about. Pass it on. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. And I am grateful. I am so grateful for where my boundaries and our boundaries have fallen. God, we live where we live, and it's not by accident. And as I've said, I don't think any, any nation in the world's traditions around Christmas compare to ours in America. God, we have been blessed. And I just want to praise you that in these symbols, God, that we look at year after year, that it is a reflection of you. And may we not miss you, God. May we not miss the reason for the season. May we not miss you. May we be those who are quick to understand what is going on in this world of ours that might make it artificial or commercialize it, but may we embrace it for what it really is, that it is about you, that you were born to die, to be our Savior, and that you didn't remain dead, that you resurrected, that we might have life, that we might not suffer the curse of the law, but that we might have provisions, not just for the future, but for right now, God, in our life. And I want to pray for our spiritual family and here in the big house and virtually around the world. For Josh in Cameroon. For Phil in Germany. God, bless us this year as we come to worship you. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. But if you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ, would you do that? Will you come to the cross and nail your sins to it? Humbling yourselves so that God can give you grace. So that you, as you experience hurt, will have an anticipation about the tomorrows that are coming. That you might be healed. That you might be restored. If you haven't done that, will you do that this morning? Just simply just say, just say this, God, right here and right now, I'm nailing my sin to the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have through you. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, God heard you. Would you just let us know? This morning in the big house, let someone know. Virtually, you can text 94,000 New Start. Just let us know so that we can get you some literature. God, we thank you. We thank you for the life that we have in you. We look forward 
to the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, and all that you have in store for us, God. You're a good God. We praise you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.